Hey, Adam. Yes, Mike. You're from Illinois. I am from the land of Lincoln. Would you have gone to the first edition of AEW Collision if you would have had to drive to an amphitheater in Jacksonville, Florida? I would say that would have been highly unlikely, Mike. Hmm. So I guess it's a good thing for you that everything seems to have worked itself out nicely. Well, at least it's nice as it could possibly be with CM Punk, Ace Steel, Larry, the Young Bucks, Mega, Tony Khan, Brandon Cutler, and then anybody else that, that was wrapped up and involved in everything that took place at Brawl Out? I'll take it. I'll take it. I refuse to get involved on air in the discourse surrounding this, but I will just say I am very happy that things worked out the way that I got did. sent a uh, screenshot of an email about you from someone. I don't want to I don't want to put it up, you know, on my Instagram or anything like that, but uh... <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> oh my. Was I was I watching hockey? You you know what you may you may have been actually watching hockey, but uh, yeah. So hey, look at that! Good news for fans of the Chicago land area that not only have uh, the possibility of CM Punk coming back, and I'm I'm sure that's a sure thing. At least I would hope so at this point. But another show at United Center once again for everybody besides New Japan, Chicago, Illinois, the wrestling capital of the world. It is. It's just a shame there's no buildings to run no, um, no. in Chicago. But other than that, it is absolutely the wrestling capital of the world. It will be my personal wrestling capital in June. We were just talking off the air. Got four shows lined up coming up uh, next month as we record this. June 3rd, Black Label Pro. Uh, getting to see Miyu Yamashita, Speedball Mike Bailey. Uh, that would, that would be more Chicago land area, correct? It is the greater Chicago <laughs> metropolitan area, <laughs> yes. but I can do it on... A rather small amount of gas still. So I consider it the greater metropolitan Chicago area. Um, it would be even more Chicagoland when the, for the Berwyn shows they run. But yes, that will be in lovely, beautiful, scenic Crown Point, Indiana. Then we've got Collision and Dynamite the 17th and 21st. And then going to GCW at beautiful Thalia Hall in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago, headlined by El Ijo del Vikingo against Metalik. So yeah, good stuff coming up in June. Uh, it's just like I said, it's a shame that that, you know, New Japan can't find a building. Now, you've had longstanding roots there, but you're not originally from Chicago, as everybody listening to this knows. You're transplanted there. You had former Mid-South roots before you came up there. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's, you can kind of say both ways. I was born um, in suburban Chicago, uh, Chicago Heights, and then at nine months old, uh, my dad packed up the family as the steel mill industry, the steel industry died pretty much in the Midwest. Uh, a steel mill had opened in uh, just outside of New Orleans, and my dad had a connection there. So we moved there. Uh, and I lived there for like four years. So my formative years as a professional wrestling fan were just outside of New Orleans, Laplace, Louisiana, watching Mid-South and World Class on television. So you didn't get a chance to grow up with Bob Loose. I did not, but my dad did. Oh, good. I was hoping for a Bob Luce story here somehow. Oh, my God. That is, I would not be a wrestling fan if it was not for Bob Luce, because that's what my dad grew up on. Uh, the Butcher, uh, excuse me, not the Butcher, the Bruiser, Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, 
Fern Gagne, Wilbur Snyder. Those were my dad's heroes growing up. Bob Luce's World Championship Wrestling, which is basically the AWA affiliate here. My dad still to this day talks about seeing Bobby Heenan bleeding all over the place on TV and how that made him a wrestling fan. And then that in turn uh, is why I ended up as a young child sitting, uh, laying on the floor watching wrestling with my dad in Louisiana. Did, so yes, he, Bob ever, did he ever mention going to the museum? He did not. My dad never got to go to a show, but he watched it on TV all the time from the International Amphitheater in Chicago. But I don't believe he ever actually went to a show. Well, my first knowledge or my first vision of professional wrestling was Bob Luce's Chicago Wrestling. It was the AWA because I was I was four years old, three years old, whatever it was. I just remember like peeking through the doors and on TV was pro wrestling. And the only pro wrestling he could have been would have been living in Chicago, Bob Luce's uh, Chicago International Amphitheater shows where he got some AWA guys and, of course, had, you know, Moose Cholak and whoever oh, yeah. else was left over at the time, Paul Christie or, or whoever it was that would be the stars who ended up, I guess, really, they were the big stars if you went over to Indiana to work for the Bruisers territory at that point. But, uh, you know, at least Chicago was saved by the AWA still having like, you know, top line stars come in. But, you know, there's a great little there's a great little black and white, like 15, 20 minute, if you want to call it a documentary or whatever, like behind the scenes at the amphitheater. um, And and you even have wrestlers like being asked if it's fake and getting mad. And you see like a young Bobby Heenan, Nick Bockwinkle, I believe a very young Dusty Rhodes uh is in the mix there so yeah if you look on youtube you might be able to find that they're gonna ask you if it's fake you can't tell them it's fake because it's not fake where would you see all this blood coming down from the bruiser's face and look at bobby heen uh, yes yes bob loose my god it's amazing for anybody out there i think dave dynasty's youtube page you can find wwa's the bruisers wrestling from like 1983 84 and there's at a point there where like sam meneker's gone and this is before david mcclain was doing like all of the interviews yes david mcclain from glow fame where did he get his hokey mentality from he got it from these backstage fake locker room interviews that he would do and when bob loose would do them there's one where there's a fake abdullah the butcher i think he was called abdullah the great and it's he has a guy bob loose has a guy that says he was at a gym and he got beaten up And so now Bob Luce has got this guy who was beaten up by Abdullah the Great at a gym to stand here and face his fears as he brings in Abdullah the Great. And he throws him this like big sandbag and he's like, did he do this to you? Put the camel clutch on him. It's absolutely (laughs) insanely ridiculous. I feel like this needs to be requested by a patron from Wrestling at Random. You know what? And I'm going to tweet that clip up for everybody to to see as well, too. But I, I don't know why we started the show talking about Chicago Land Wrestling and Bob Luce and such. But, you know. Well, it's because of the big announcement about Collision and CM Punk. But what does CM Punk have to do with, with Forbidden Door? You know, you can see so many other people. Where does CM Punk fit in if there is a Forbidden Door to open for him? Yeah, that, I mean, it's one of the many interesting things is we head into uh, the month of June, uh, June 25th, Forbidden Door in Toronto. You talk about the Forbidden Door, I guess one of the first things, maybe the most newsworthy thing here in, you know, stateside, as far as New Japan Pro Wrestling is concerned, 
is the fact that somewhat surprisingly, Aussie Open has signed with AEW. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that Mark Davis was injured was pretty much broadcast everybody two or three weeks ago now, I guess it is. I guess it was only two weeks ago when Kyle Fletcher showed up at AEW and laid out Orange Cassidy. It was like, ooh, wait a second. Yeah. And then the news came out that Mark Davis said a, a bum wheel got arthroscopic knee surgery, and that was tough. You see him giving up the belts, but... Then you woke up on Wednesday morning, and at some point during the morning, Fightful put out a story saying that Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher have had a lot of interest from WWE, and oh yeah, they've been working without a contract. As soon as I saw that, it was like, oh, okay, now that Kyle Fletcher-Orange Catch the City match takes on a little bit of a different meaning. Didn't think Fletcher would win, but as soon as Tony Khan came out afterwards with that tweet, Everything kind of fell together, and there are a lot of people that are very upset about this. A lot of people wondering what's up with this. Adam, there's a lot of different ways to look at this story as fans. It sucks. They've been fantastic tag team. We've seen them in there with you know several different units. They've been a big part of the United Empire. They're going to be missed as far as native Japanese shows and certainly being at New Japan's disposal to send people over for uh, Rev Pro shows and, and use in the UK. But there are some other ways to look at this as well, too, including the realities of business and things that could have been a far worse case scenario like them going to WWE. Yeah, uh, and I think that is the most realistic way to look at this is that, yes, does it suck that Aussie Open this early on into the rain, which, yes, was was interrupted by the injury? But clearly, it felt like there's a lot of runway still for Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher and the story that was being told with them as the top tag team in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Disappointing that won't continue, at least uh, on a full-time basis. However, at this point, New Japan, <laughs> they, they can't just throw money left and right at everybody. Yes, obviously, they threw big money at mercedes Monet. We've seen that pay off, whether that be um, in late ticket buys for Resurgence or what we've heard about uh, New Japan World, all those sorts of things. And yes, they also have to keep their top Japanese stars happy and pay them well. But a uh, you know the pandemic occurred, and as part of that, New Japan lost a ton of money. They didn't cut people, um, but... They were not making anywhere near as much money. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a surprise. I mean, you had, what, 25, 50% capacity at some times. You had uh, dome shows that would have drawn 30,000 that were drawn 5,000, um, all those things. And the end result of that is there's not as much money to play with. So when you've got guys like Aussie Open and there's interest from AEW and from WWE, they're going to go. I'm sorry, but it's going to happen. And if they're going to leave, you would much rather have them go to your partner where they will still be able to work some shows sometimes. No, they probably won't work an entire tag league. You won't see them working entire tours. But there's a very good chance that you will see Aussie Open, uh, you know, at a, at a Tokyo Dome or a Dominion or a Power Struggle or something like that. They're still in the orbit. They're still in the, dare I say, universe, the metaverse uh, that is AEW, New Japan, Impact, and sort of all that that entails. And I think this is something where, you know, 
like it or not, it's something we're probably going to have to get used to. I would say from a positive standpoint, if you want to put a, a, a good spin on it, what it shows is that there isn't a scenario where if a guy that's under had been under contract or had been wrestling regularly in New Japan goes to AEW, it's not something that's going to harm the relationship clearly. Forbidden Door isn't going to be called off because AEW signed Aussie Open out from under New Japan. It does not appear like it's anything like that at all. So to me, I mean, I think A, prepare for more of this. B, I'd say in the next year, prepare for that exact same graphic, but instead of it being United Empire members Aussie Open, it being United Empire leader Will Ospreay becoming All Elite. Yeah, it's just you mentioned the pandemic and that's the biggest thing. And, you know, that with Trinity, when people were asking about why isn't Trinity in and they talked about Mercedes Monet and, you know, look, Kenny Omega, I'm sure, did not take a discount to come back. You know what I'm saying? No. You know, the the pandemic is going on with the stuff in the pandemic. They're mining their own foreign talent. At the LA Dojo, they have a lot of foreign talent that's at their disposal. I mean, we're going to talk about a bunch of them during the best of the Super Juniors talk. It's just, I get it. And I'm not happy about it as a fan. I'm not at all because, boy, they're so good, whether it be Bishamon or, you know, whoever, you know, the, the combination, they're great. So losing them sucks. But as you mentioned, losing them to AEW right now, you know, is New Japan okay being the chip? And I'm sure in some ways they're not. But, you know, if you're the chip and people are looking at that schedule that AEW offers and looking up at WWE and seeing what's up there, it's like, no, I want to work AEW because if this relationship is good with my my chip in Japan, you know, then everybody can be happy. <laughs> you know, at least that yeah. that would be the hope. So it, it's tough, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this. I mean, look how many guys that were cogs, important cogs in the machine during NJPW Strong that aren't getting as much use now. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's just filthy Tom Lawler being one of them. You know, Fred Rosser has not gotten a zillion trips to Japan, even though, I mean, arguably outside of Tom, is he their biggest star of, of, of you know, since the beginning of NJPW Strong? I mean, not Yeah, counting. I would say it's, I would say it's inarguable that he's been the, to me, he's the second guy after Tom Waller that you most associate with it. And yeah, he's had zero tours of Japan. I was happy to see the announcement that with the, the New Japan Strong shows in Cork and Hall in July that both uh, Tom and Fred Rosser will go over there. But yeah, it, tours have been hard to come by. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a tough situation. It's also tough if you are a fan of Aussie Open in New Japan because you look at sometimes people going to AEW and you go, all right, well, is Jay, are Jay White and Juice Robinson doing what I wanted them to do? Or this person or that person, even if they get off to a good start, sometimes in AEW it's about the consistency and maintaining. And I know there's people that are probably going to be really frustrated over that, you know, as well too. And, and we'll just have to see how it goes. But, you know, them being 
key to Will Ospreay and the story that I would believe, and I could be dead-ass wrong about this, that I think they're going to be building to between Forbidden Door and and Wembley. You know, it's going to be, to me, I can't believe it's not going to be Omega and Ospreay. If it's not... No, it has to be. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, and so they can play a part in that, in the lead-up. And it just, there's, there's, again, there are... I'm looking at the silver lining in this cloud and, and the the good thing for me is I'll be able to still see them have matches with FTR, have matches making other teams look really, really good, you know, as as yeah. well as just being able to stand in there with the with the really, really good teams that are in there. Like, you know, Pen, whether it be Penta and Phoenix or, you know, Claudio and Danielson or whoever else, you know, you have as your teams, you know, your, your better teams. I mean, they're perfect. Yeah, I mean, flat out, like, for me, I don't want to see any wrestler that I like go to WWE. It's that simple. I don't watch the product. I think the product sucks. I think interesting wrestlers go there and become boring. Um, I lived through that when there wasn't an AEW and all the guys that I enjoyed watching on the indies, like Punk, Danielson, Samoa Joe, Loki, just go up and down the line. For me, it was like they retired when they went there, and then they came out of retirement when they left. And so the more guys that I like that don't go there, the better. Um, yes, Blue Sky, would it be great if they were in New Japan and they're getting paid $2 million each uh, a year? It would be awesome. It's not the scenario. And so in, in the world of realism, uh, in the realistic world that we we have to live in, uh, it, it could be a lot worse than them signing there. The, the one other guy that I just wonder about, and then you can leave this and move on to all the other things to talk about, but one guy I wonder about if we're going to be seeing in the next year or so in the same situation I really wonder if Zack Sabre Jr. is the next guy. It's working a lot in the U.S. all of a sudden. Yeah, well, well, when else is he going to do it? If it's not now for Zack Sabre Jr., when is it? Because, I mean, I don't want to say a lot. Look, a lot of his value to people that would not listen and are not listening to this show would be tying him in mentally to Brian Danielson because they know he's a great technical worker and we may have seen a little bit of him and he's we've seen a little bit of his promos and it's cool, but like I don't know if he's somebody that a lot of fans are lusting after. I mean, right now is the time for him, you know? Coming... I don't know. I've seen some pretty thirsty tweets about uh, about one Zack Sabre Jr. I'd, you know, I'd like to think so because he is so technically sound. He's so unique. He's so, he's great. You know, he used to fight with this with Alvarez all the time. Uh, how skinny is he? I'm like, yeah, but you know what? He gets overpowered by guys he's supposed to be overpowered by at the right times, but he also ties him in knots and he uses that technical game to slither like a snake. I mean, I've always thought Zack Sabre Jr. is great. And I think if it's Absolutely. not, if it's not now, I don't know when it's going to be because he's got that NJPW TV title and we won't go through any spoilers of ROH, you know, or anything like that. But I mean, he he makes his way onto those shows, always puts on a great performance. At some point, we're going to get Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. because it's what we all want. And if is that the match that oh, ends for up Forbidden being Door for Wembley or for Forbidden would, Door? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I mean, you you'd think Forbidden Door, considering it was supposed to happen last year and didn't, yeah. but maybe they. Maybe they hold it for Wembley. It's... And look, the BCC's going over there, and I got a BCC tie-in later on when it comes to the best of the Super Junior stuff. But, you know, Danielson making a video announcement or something like that while those guys are over there facing chaos, you know, eh, boy, good time. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does want to work at G1, so uh, we shall see. You mentioned... Uh, are you sure you don't want to talk another half hour about CM Punk? We could always do that. <laughs> I doubt no. you that you've really been able to talk a lot about that on your other show. Uh, well, no, I haven't talked really much about it at all, but I've listened. Boy, have I listened. <laughs> oh, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, instead, let's talk about the best of the Super Junior, because I... I have greatly enjoyed this tournament to me. Like I, I was thinking, what would be the one word I would use to sum up uh, the couple of weeks of action we've seen in the best of the super junior 30. I would say delightful. This has just been outside of show matches being show matches. It's been such a fun, easy watch, different styles, different match lengths. I love the 10 match cards, which force some matches to be shorter with clever finishes, nothing's going longer than it needs to, and some really, really standout performances, some from guys that you would 100% expect, and some guys really stepping up. Yes, pleasant. Would pleasant be a right way to also describe it? Very easy I, to watch. I would say that is a, a perfect word to describe it as well. A breath of fresh air on a nice blue sky afternoon, uh, like a lot of New Japan this year, to be honest, when you compare it to previous years. Not a whole lot to get mad about. Some stuff that was just okay. But like I said, some guys that are just really, really having good matches. And the thing I've enjoyed most about this is that, especially the compact time frame where you're watching guys wrestle almost every day for two weeks, a lot of times it can feel kind of programmed and static and robotic and like guys are just wrestling on a track. There are some guys that have really put a lot of thought clearly into making sure that their matches are interesting, different structures, different moves throughout. Um, and that's yeah, important I, I, with the matches being as short as they are, too, because how do yeah. you make things interesting? You know, you're going to have a count out like you had with with Clark Connors and uh, a couple days ago. Uh, what was it today? It was a couple, well, a couple days ago with, with Clark Connors getting counted out. And throwing a fit. I loved it. We had fans legitimately scared as he was tossing those light chairs guards. and all that. Yes. With against Dan Maloney there. So, it, you know, and yes, you had that, but you also had again, a, a bunch of different, really good sprints in some cases. And, you know, we always go back and somebody pointed this out to me too. You know, you go back to that Milano collection, AT Prince Devitt match and how much they were able to do in a short period of time. And you see where these guys have come now and you have that. And there was so, again, the diversity of styles in this thing too, with Teton and with Leo Rush being two, you know, two shiny examples of that. And also, again, the infusion of guys like Kevin Knight, who, you know, if there was any question about how he was going to be able to stand up, he's done it. You know, Teton has stood out. Leo Rush has gotten over with the crowd more than I, I think anybody could have expected him to. Even Maloney, you know, his not a bad performance. The oh, guy totally fine. He's to me, he's an aggressively average wrestler that overperformed uh, on this tour. And that's that's fine. Yeah. So it's it is the garbage and the nonsense has been kept to the matches that you expect them to be a part of with Taguchi with. And you, honestly, you haven't had a lot of that with Taguchi. He's mostly been playing playing it serious up until that last match where he had his uh, the, the trunks pulled down. That's well, yes, he did have a moment there, and that moment, you know, pretty much is playing more into Kushida, 
who just could not catch a break throughout the entire tournament. So I like the mini stories that have been told throughout this thing as well, too. You know, we were when we talked about it, the preview and it's like, boy, all these guys I've liked for some Leo Rush and Speedball Mike Bailey and Teton. But it's like, okay, only one is probably going to come. They all ended up making it damn near till the end. And yes, we have Master Watto in there. But I mean, Desperado, we talked about how great he, man, how great would it be? And damn if he's not there. So I love it. I, I, I've absolutely, I, again, I, I liked a, the tournament last year in some ways more because, again, we were coming out of, it was just so, such a breath of fresh air coming out of the pandemic. But as you have mentioned as well, too, the crowd for this oh, takes it up a notch, you know, or several great. notches. So again, it's just, this is year in, year out. I don't know how anybody can really complain about the best of the super juniors other than, you know, mixing it up when it comes well, to yeah, we Takashi. Those, and finally we had that. We had those lean years where it just felt like the same roster, uh, same tournament roster every year that was necessitated by the pandemic. But, but yeah, you mentioned Hiromu Takahashi not making it to the semifinal or final. It's, it's another, uh, it's sort of another feather in the cap of new Japan doing different things this year, taking chances, which is the opposite of what we've seen prior. To me, the thing that maybe has been the least talked about, but the most important part of this tournament is the fact that we went back to the semifinal and final format, meaning the top two from each block make it through. To me, that made the final stretch, the final night, really the the tournament all the way through much more interesting in that you kept more guys in the mix throughout. There was more believability about who would be in the mix onto the final night because it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be in the final. It also gives guys uh, something to hang their hat on without having to put them into the final. Like, Titan probably isn't going to beat El Desperado, but it's a big deal that we finally had a true luchador, a true CMLL guy, make it out of the block into the semifinals. What, the last time was Dr. Wagner Jr.? Yeah, that's what Cubs uh, said, yeah. 1998. Years ago, many, many years ago. So I love that format. I would love to see it come back for the G1 as well. Uh, I would love to see the exact format they have right now. Ten guys in each block, two blocks, semis and finals. Do a bunch of the the G1 shows where you have ten match shows, uh, all tournament matches where you necessitate having some short matches, which gives you different finishes, all different things. Take this template and run with it for a while. Um, Yeah, like we said, we can run through what the blocks, where they're at right now, because the, the whole deal, if you haven't been following the tournament super closely, the block action is over. As we record this on Thursday night, the 25th, it is the eve of the semifinals. The semifinals will be taking place on Friday, uh, and then the final is on the show on the 28th. So block A, Speedball Mike Bailey, who, as you mentioned, has been awesome in this tournament. Not surprising, but still, you know, you, you think about guys that, you know, man, it would be awesome to see this guy in the best of the Super Junior or G1, but you don't know. Uh, if it's going to work out as well as it does in your head thinking about it. Speedball, even better, I would say, than <laughs> than what you would have thought. He wins the block. Teton finishes second at 12, uh, defeating Hiromu Takahashi on the last night. He has the tiebreaker over Leo Rush and Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, TJP, who had an awesome tournament as well. Uh, Taiji Ishimori, both tied at 10. Ishimori with that 
nasty injury in the match against Romu Takahashi, mm. uh, taking him out of the final night of block play. Show at eight points, you know, if you don't do a podcast about Japanese wrestling, I can't fathom why you would have even watched those matches, but they occurred. <laughs> Doki at six, a little bit of a disappointment. I was hoping he would get uh, more of a run. You mentioned Kushida, only four points, which it's confounding to me, the story they're telling. Well, is Kushida past his prime? Is Kushida done? He only gets four points. Because I thought, for me, he's in my top three MVPs of this tournament. He is the most interesting wrestler he has ever been right now. Every match so different. Uh, just so many different moves, so many different approaches to matches. I loved him in this tournament. I loved the match with Speedball. I loved everything he did in this tournament. And then Ryusuke Taguchi came into this tournament serious and got zero points. Yeah, well, well. Looks good, but the story here clearly with Taguchi is he has reached the point that Tenzan, uh, Nakanishi, Kojima, and Nagata all had in the G1 in that he uh, he is no longer kayfabe-wise at a level to be a participant in the best of the Super Junior. And that's awesome. And because, <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, he should be the comic relief when you need him to be. He can be the mascot for the best of the Super Juniors, all those sorts of things that he could do. But telling that story concurrently with Kushida going into some conflict here, and you go, well, wait a second now. He's the IWGP, one half of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions with Kevin Knight. Has Kevin Knight been carrying that team? Where is where is Kushida at in his head? And call me crazy, but hear me out, all right? How about Kushida at some point having maybe enough of Kevin Knight and those high drop kicks, and he just looks at him and goes, you know what? I could take your leg out, and I could break it very quickly because I got all this martial arts background. Yeah, I've been time traveling, but you know what? Maybe I can time travel back to when I was locking on more submissions and that hoverboard lock wasn't just something that sounds cool to say. It was something that could actually break arms. And how about to freshen up Kushida? You give Japan the Blackpool Combat Club and he becomes a member out of them. And you see him maybe more floating around in the States and NJPW strong. I'm not sure what the plan is. I mean, I don't know if he's going to go heavyweight to me with the story you told. That's not a way to get him into the heavyweight ranks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, so how about that maybe and turns on night and he makes more appearances in impact or maybe makes more appearances in, in AEW is in that role. I wouldn't mind it. It wouldn't bother me. I mean, I think that's clearly not necessarily BCC. It could happen, but generally he, what Gato does is he books guys on losing streaks and then they either turn heel or make a sideways move in terms of which side of the fence they're on, but join a different uh, a different group. And it clearly seems like that's the direction they're going with Kushida. I pray that it's not Bullet Club or House of Torture, if you remember. Those were the rumors, uh, particularly Bullet Club, when he first came back to New Japan. I don't want that at all. How does uh, he but fit? I, I mean, you to me, it just it's so... You have to just How would this David him. Finley fit? You know? <laughs> like, well, I mean, he, to me, I, I don't know. that You can come up with enough kayfabe reasons. Well, okay, that's why. But, like, 
you know, with Kushida. It's like, you? You know, yeah. I would say just five guys, but we had a reclamation already with Sonata. Can you turn him into just six guys and do that? Sure, you could. I don't know. They're if... also really junior heavy. Well, that well, here's the thing. Let's, I mean, I guess let's say Sonata loses the belt to Yotosuji, and I, but still, no, that doesn't, it, no, I'm trying, that's a weird fantasy booking to even get him in there. How about maybe not just five guys, but whatever Minoru Suzuki's loose group of strong style? Strong style. I, I mean, yeah. at, at least you could jumpstart him that way by having Kushida join. Yeah, I could very easily see that. Maybe he, uh, maybe he goes the TMDK or United Empire route. Well, um, hey, I, United I Empire's got some holes now. That is true. I certainly hope it's not a Kushida can't compete anymore. Sort of oh thing, God, no! I hope not. He's so freaking good. He's the only guy that that of all the guys that were warehoused in WWE and in NXT and barely wrestled and then left. He's the only guy that has improved considerably off an already high level coming off of that. You can tell that dude spent the entire time he was there thinking about all the cool, different, unique stuff he could do when he left. And he's doing all that stuff in his matches. So many cool, different, subtle things that no one else in wrestling is doing right now. I I don't care if the guy globetrots, if he stays uh, just in New Japan. I just do not want to see him become... Your, your sort of token garden variety heel because he's such an interesting wrestler to watch right now. And I don't think he will, but we'll see what happens here with the short term, how things end up playing out with him. Um, obviously, again, with his attitude, with some of the losses after some of the losses. Showing the frustration. Yeah, so again, I don't know what the plan is when it comes to Kushida and Impact and what his status is with them. You know, it seemed like after he was out of the mix... He was out of the mix. So they you know. did have he there was one of the shows that just jogged something with me where he did go up to Kevin Kelly afterward and say that he wanted Kevin Kelly to call Scott Demore for him. So obviously, yeah. uh, even though he didn't win the Impact World title, there still is more in terms of him in Impact. And look, I mean, and if I if I'm AEW WWE, if I'm anybody, I'm trying to sign Kevin Knight. But Kevin Knight's one of those guys that could walk into Impact, and again, unfortunately the light is very narrow that gets shown upon him. But it's like when Speedball's there and some other people where, you know, for there are worse places to bide your time as opposed, you know, if you're not going to be signed by AEW, you know what I mean? And, yeah, well, 100%. And, and get some, and particularly, get shine. particularly for if you're either not going to be signed by AEW or if you're going to be signed by AEW, but you're, you're worried that you're going to be lost in the shuffle. I'll, I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying, I don't watch Impact TV. I, I hear it's fun. I hear it's pretty good. I do not have enough time in my life to watch Impact. However, I went to the, one of the nights of the uh, the Impact tapings uh, in, in Cicero, just outside of Chicago, a couple of weeks ago. It was a really fun show. And the thing that struck out to me, or that stuck out to me, I should say, is that with a relatively small roster, they are forced to maximize what they get out of almost everyone and really delve into each guy on the roster um, in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see in one of the other major companies. And so I could see and I can understand why a guy, particularly a younger guy like, not like he's 20, but a younger guy like a speedball or even more like a Kevin Knight 
if you want to go somewhere and still be able to work some New Japan and you don't want to be lost in the shuffle at, at a relatively young age in AEW, you could do worse than spending a year or two in, in Impact. Yeah, because, you know, for the you know, the, the bully rays or the things that I think a lot of people see, they forget Trey Miguel's there. They forget like guys like Scott Demore. they have, you know, the Lance, there are guys there who are universally for the most part liked and respected, you know, who are working there, who are working as agents who are just working there in general again, because yes, in some ways it is the, you know, Island of misfit toys, you know, but for a guy like a Fred Rosser or again, Clark Connors, you know, got more attention, you know, being an impact, you know, for what it was worth than he would have gotten just in a one-off appearance or making an appearance on dark or something like that. You know, he actually, you know, helped himself working with Frankie Kazarian and working with Rich Swan and working with Rocky and guys like that. So, you know, and that's another thing with impact too, when it comes to the women is going to be interesting to see if they end up how much, if they're used at all in the IWGP title picture. And if they're used at all, you know, when it comes to defenses of that title, on, yeah, the, on either well, in Japan or on NJPW strong cards. Well, yeah, and how much the IWGP Women's Championship even makes it to the U.S. Given that you've got the strong title, um, you know, which we'll get into a little bit later. That that IW, IWGP Women's Championship just kind of feels like it's in limbo. Uh, Mayu Iwatani won it. Um, there hasn't been a defense yet. I don't think there'll be a defense on Dominion because Stardom has a show uh, on the same day uh, in a different city. So yeah, we'll we'll get there a little yeah, bit later. We're gonna have to get there a little bit later because yeah, that that main event is, I don't know, it's interesting. It's interesting because I'm not what? going to a half hour draw title versus title. I just in the in the I'm sorry, you know, it's not Flair and Race doing it either. I mean, Mina Shigarakawa has improved a lot. I don't know if I want to see a half hour draw with her. Oh, I think that's 100 percent what's happening. Oh. We'll uh, we'll get there. They're not they're not unifying the red and white belts. I don't see that happening at all. Here's the Who knows? one I have one theory as to why they could. It's an outside shot, but I'll get to it later. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to it a little bit later. Back to the best of the super junior, the B block. El Desperado wins. He's at a 14-14 tie with Watto, but he had the direct win tie break. Uh, so Desperado and Watto advance out of the B block. Yo, great showing at 12 points. Complete <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> in this tournament, he's stealing guys' moves. He's just being a, an impish little troll. Punk rock, uh, yo. He's kind of, and again, I know people say, oh, this is ridiculous hyperbole. This is on a smaller scale, both in terms of physical stature and the level of star he is or is going to be. But you're kind of seeing a Shinsuke Nakamura-like evolution in yo in that he was a guy who was a pretty good wrestler who never seemed comfortable in his own skin, did not have the charisma that he seemed to have, and then when he finally... And his partner did? Yes. <laughs> Who was yes, the guy exactly. that everybody thought? Exactly. And then he finally just decided to get weird and be who he is. And now he, I find him to be a wildly entertaining guy who's a very good wrestler. So I, I'm very interested to see where he goes throughout uh, the rest of the year after this tournament. Robbie Eagles at 10 points had a tremendous tournament. 
Uh, he, to me, hit another level in ring uh, throughout the course of these past couple of weeks and also was very, very good on English language commentary with Kevin Kelly uh, on the two or three shows that he joined him for uh, uh, on nights when Chris Charlton was not there. Just an overall great tournament for, for Robbie Eagles. I love Robbie Eagles. <laughs> and he's awesome. again, he's one of those guys when, again, talking about like Aussie Open and everything where. You know, it's just it's it's tough. The the numbers game makes it difficult. But talk about a guy you can always rely on on the good guy side of the ledger. That Ron Miller special is awesome. He's believable with everybody to me. He goes in there with. He's a threat to beat them. And you know, just to reverse it back to Yo, you know, for a minute, Yo, really, it was the the team with Leo Rush during the the Super Juniors where. It's like he was really starting to to pop off for me. And that has continued oh, 100%. On for the entire year. And I love the story they they told towards the end where he was in contention. And if he would have pulled it out against Kanemaru, you know, he, he, he with the 12 points, if he would have won, he would have made it. But there was still a chance. There was still a chance because he had beaten Desperado. So if he were he beaten Robbie Eagles, so if Robbie Eagles wins, you know, that match and, and you know, finishes with 12, Yo still would have made it, I believe. So, yeah. uh, so it's like, again, the, the where I'm sorry, I take that back. Yo in Desperado because he beat Desperado earlier. Yeah. So it's like, Yo had a, yeah, still that had a awesome shot to match in, in Sendai, one of the best matches of the tournament and incredible crowd. Uh, reactions for that. That's one to go back and watch if, if people haven't seen it. The one thing that will, you know, disappoint me is if Master Watto... If Master Watto wins the tournament, yes, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> See, I have to catch myself because that's kind of the direction I'm going where it's like, if Watto loses to Bailey, it's like, you know, Kevin Knight could have beat Watto and you could have had... Yo, or you know, in that spot, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, to me, they're trying to make Watto happen. Oh, I, I don't see it. Yeah, his German suplex is his Everest German is really cool, but he's still the same master Watto. He's a he's a slightly above average wrestler in some respects. In other ways, he's below average. He still doesn't have great instincts. Weird footwork. Not the most accurate guy, and they try to make it into a story like KFAB. Oh, he's just this wild man. Kevin Kelly's trying so hard to sell that. And to me, right now, it's like, why not Yo as opposed to Watto? Because Watto yes. has gotten better, but you know what? If you don't focus on him, and I know, well, if he'll just disappear into the abyss, but you know what? No. Sometimes, like, if he just continues to get better and there's not a big light shining on him, like, you know, the possibility of being in the title matches or being in title matches. That might do him a lot, you know, more to just float for a while and let some of these other 100%. guys people want to see more in the mix. At 100% least me. Agree. No, I, Watto, I agree. He's the guy because it's not like his improvement has been that rapid and he's nowhere near where he needs to be uh, to be a best of the super junior winner, or be an IWGP yeah. junior heavyweight champion. To me, let him improve slowly in the shadows where by the time he's three, four or five years from now, maybe ready for that spot. It doesn't feel like he's being pushed when he shouldn't be to me. Master Watto is junior heavyweight Yoshihashi. We'll see if he gets 
Toru Yoshihashi is now as being a very good wrestler, but he's the same guy. Don't try to make him something more than he's not because it's just it's just not there yet. Plus, if he hangs out in the abyss, he can, like, you know, again, get better quietly where his show is just somehow getting worse quietly, and it's it's just not his fault. <laughs> no, his fault. no, it's the whole show thing is just so frustrating all around. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The, the rest of the uh, the B block, Francesco Akira, eight points. I thought he had a really solid tournament. Yep. Cl- Clark Connors at eight points. I still, the thing with me in the Bullet Club right now is it's a group of legitimately nice guys trying to act hard and tough. And I feel like Clark Connors is doing a more believable job of it than Fit Finley, or excuse me, than, than, uh, than, <laughs> David. than David Finley. Um, but I still just, I don't buy it. I just don't buy these guys as these mean, tough savages as, uh, as Finley Says it. That said, I think uh, Connors had a solid tournament. We talked about Dan Maloney. Does he ever I, give I, you Kidman just got a haircut vibes when you're looking at him? Yeah, Kidman just got a haircut and also never got the bath, um, but lost the t-shirt vibes. Well, um, and it's something just the look, the look. Um, I, again, Dan Maloney was fine in this tournament. It's like I didn't mind him. He was pretty good. If he doesn't come back, it's not going to bother me. He's he your Alex Zane for this me. year. Yeah, I like him more. No, no. Yeah, no, I think I like Alex Zane more just because Alex Zane brought something different visually. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I certainly think not that Dan Maloney didn't get over, but I certainly thought Alex Zane got over a lot more than Dan Maloney did. I'm, I'm, just based on crowd reaction alone, a little surprised we haven't seen more of Alex Zane um, in New Japan proper uh, than we have. But yeah, like if if Maloney comes back, great. If he doesn't come back, that's fine. I mean, I imagine he probably will again, like you said, given the uh, uh, the gaping hole that now exists in the United Empire with Aussie Open not being New Japan regulars. So he'll probably be back. I've seen worse power juniors, but... You know, I've seen better too. He he existed for me. Can we get Jeff Cobb back in the mix more in Japan? Could we have that, please? I mean, I like when he appears on like an Impact show or like a, you know, a Hollywood, you know, championship wrestling from Hollywood show and everything. But I would really like to see him and Okan like teaming regularly, and that would be a great reason to do that. You know, with 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 Aussie Open gone. I mean, that's probably asking too much, though, isn't it? I mean, I'd like to see it. It is, it does kind of shine a light though on like how without Aussie Open, we we're, might be going to the real sad times of the heavyweight tag team division mm. in New Japan again. No Aussie Open, um, you know, with them out of that three-way, the, three, the the tag title match, the decision match for the tag team titles at Dominion is Goto and Yoshihashi, who are great. I love them as a team against evil in Udro. That's that's what's going to be going on in the tag team division right now. Uh, it's a far cry from FTR holding the belts, coming over, defending him a few times. Uh, Bishamon having the belts and, and kind of stabilizing the division. Aussie Open winning the tag titles and having great matches left and right. Don't think we're going to be seeing that for a while. I think in another three months, we're all going to be clamoring for the junior tag titles and heavyweight tag titles to be combined again. 
Well, yeah, let's see how uh, long it takes them to fill. And I guess whoever wins, they're going to take the NJPW Strong titles as well, too. Yeah. I wonder how long they're just going to be a prop so everybody can lift up two belts at a time or if this thing is actually going to get assimilated back in or if there's even a need to. Because, again, I mean, it's not like – I mean, tag teams are – Boy, you know, again, the Motor City Machine Guns are out there. They're still actively working. They were your strong champions at one point. Can we can we put them back on them? I I, I don't know, and I don't know if it matters. I mean, it's a it does not. I know it's a superfluous <laughs> belt, you know. So to me, seal them. You know, just get rid yes. of it. Have the men and the women's, and just have you know tag team showcases again. It's not like you focus on trios and you focus on units more than you do tag teams. So I guess the hell with it. Honestly, I mean, you really don't need any of the strong titles. And I know we just crowned a, a strong women's champion. It was a great moment with Willa Nightingale. I'm not taking anything away from that. But all of the, those belts are superfluous, given there isn't an actual strong show, given that the strong titles and the, the tag titles have now been unified for the time being with the IWGP tag titles. The strong heavyweight title, the strong openweight singles title is a mid-card championship on these monthly new japan usa pay-per-views again as we talked about last week gun to my head i could at never at any given time tell you uh the difference between the never open weight and strong open weight titles right now in terms of which holds which uh they just exist for people to hold belts one thing we have not had yet though is the njpw strong title changing hands on a count out no, no, that is that is oh, in fact true. God, we're not going to talk I, about that show really a whole lot, are we? Are we really going to talk about resurgence in depth? We can talk about it a little bit. Um, we'll just briefly mention uh, Kevin Knight at six points, like you talked about, great tournament there. Kanemaru was awesome in this tournament. Uh, if you don't believe me, ask Kevin Kelly; he'll tell you. <laughs> uh, and uh, and Bushi at four points. So that's the best of the Super Junior, as we mentioned. Friday semifinal, Mike Bailey and Master Wato, Desperado and Teton. I don't see a scenario where this isn't Desperado and Mike Bailey in the final. I certainly hope yeah. it's not Desperado and Wato. Either way, I, I, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would throw all my chips in on El Desperado winning this tournament for the first time. I would hope so. You know, it's a gold watch for him, you know, as far as the winning the best of the Super Juniors. And he and Hiromu having a non-traditional IWGP junior heavyweight championship match, whether it be, I'm not saying that you, you break out the aluminum cans that John Moxley suplexed Desperado on and said it was dope. And you know what? It was, <laughs> you know, but you do to me, you can do something different with those two. You can do something more exotic. Even maybe if you don't put a stipulation on the match, you can make it. I mean, they can make it awesome. And I can't believe we are the only ones. In fact, I know we're not the only ones that would love to see that match happen for Desperado. And I think it's the by far the best match you can put on by leaps and bounds. It's the most interesting match you can put on by leaps and bounds. So that's what I hope they do for it. Could you put Titan over Desperado to give CMLL, like, in general, like, give them something yeah, I mean, you could do that, but my my thing with that is it wouldn't be Mike Bailey and Teton in that case. It would be Master Watto and Teton. Yeah. And then, you know, Master Watto, again, either getting the victory or even if it's Teton that does it, 
I don't know if if that just to me, unless you're tying it in with the the global, you know, the the North American juniors thing or something like that. But to me, I think I would figure Japanese fans would feel, you know, a little bit let down by that type of scenario, even if you tried to in your mind make it work for over here. Yeah, no, that's a good point with the junior festival coming up in August. Uh, it's you know still three months away, but maybe something that happens uh, you know on the final night uh, of the best of the super junior leads into that. But yeah, I still think just how hard they leaned on Desperados, you know, the story of him doing everything but winning the best of the super junior, and how mm-hmm. how much the deck has been cleared for him to do that. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win. And like I said, I and it's the best hope- match. It's the oh. best match. Teton and Bailey is great, but like. Desperado and Bailey is by far the best match you could do for this thing. And there's so much stuff they could do with that too. And I should mention, obviously you did, you mentioned it in, in passing Taiji Ishimori and the injury to him, which was yes. man, you know, the news came out at first people online said, Oh, it, it might be a concussion. Then new Japan put out the news about it being cervical. And I had seen that before I had seen the match. So I immediately went and watched it. And Man, you know, he he delivers a poison rana, comes down on his left side, immediately grabs his right side, his right shoulder. And it's like, okay, what did he jam his neck there? Okay, all right. He gets up, takes a big, big power slam flat on his back. Once again, reaches over, grabs his right shoulder, seems to grab his neck like something's pinched there. Goes, continues to move on. I think it was a lariat by Hiromu yes. that was finally the last straw where he's just laying there and just, I can't go. And they wave it off. And again, he had movement. I know a lot of people saw cervical when it was online and, and were freaking out and say, well, no, at least he had movement and all that sort of stuff. Maybe it's just a stinger. Who knows? But there's been no update on him since, you know, it has not gotten better. It has not gotten worse. There's been seemingly no update that I have seen. So hopefully no. he's okay. He's forfeited the last matches, but a scary, you know, again, just, it's a, that's a scary move anyway, and can be a very tough move. And it's just, you know, it's too bad, even though as many times as you perform something, then, you know, something can happen. And unfortunately for whatever reason, it happened here with Ishimori. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very scary. You know, we don't have, there's not a detailed update, but it certainly seems like, you know, it's not as dire of a situation as other guys that we've seen, you know, that have had serious neck injuries in Japan in recent years. Once that at least was known that this wasn't like a paralysis situation, all I could think of between that injury and Mercedes Monet going down uh, with an ankle injury, foot injury, whatever it is, they're being very vague on what the injuries. The statement from New Japan was like, four days later, they put out a statement that said, she got hurt. And it's like, yes, we all saw. And, and we Thanks. gave her treatment right after the yes. match. Well, well thank, thank you. Thank God. Let's... Thank you. <laughs> now we know exactly what's happening. But when I saw that, those two things, I'm like, well, so it can only mean one thing. As I looked at the calendar and saw those two injuries, we're in forbidden door season, everybody. People are getting hurt. <laughs> oh, God, don't say that. Don't say that. But, yeah, resurgence. Hey, disappointing, obviously, but another two good performances by Monet for the short time she was in there against Willow Nightingale. Willow Nightingale but had a good match with, with Stephanie Vaccaro to open the thing up. Stephanie Vaccaro looked incredible yeah. in that match. I had never seen her wrestle before. I was extremely 
impress. I don't know if there's a reason why she's not signed to WWE or AEW, but watching that, I'm like, good Lord. She's, and maybe it was just a great night, but she looked better than most women in either of those promotions in terms of her performance in that match. She was off the charts great. Because she wasn't wrestling Dalis. And so, <laughs> so don't mean that the women of CMLL are not at the level uh, of some of the other top promotions in the world. No, no, no. And look, look, this for everything that was going on with the personal life and everything that went on in Mexico and everything. Look, she was obviously happy and, and content working with CMLL with some of the other things, you know, that have happened. Maybe look just for her wrestling career, maybe for her personally, you know, maybe she's looking to, to come to the States more and you couldn't have had a better first night performance in a first breakout performance in front of a bunch of people who had never seen you before, you know, out there against Mercedes. So, you know, Rocky, hopefully, you know, I talked to him for a little while on Wrestling Observer Live last Friday where it, it, it doesn't, I didn't get the impression that it's going to be a one and done with her. We're probably going to see her on more cards. I hope that's actually the case because if you are going to have a women's division, you know, I do, I would like to see a cross section of people come in and I'd like to see it be, you know, a regular little women's unit as much as you can put one together. Because again, what's the point of having the belt if you're not going to be out there and working with AEW and stardom and everybody you could possibly work with to do something with this belt. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought obviously the injury to Mercedes Monet took up all in the, it took up all the air in the room post show in terms of, uh, you know, just people talking on how the show went, but I thought all three of the matches in the one night women's tournament were great. Uh, Momo Kogo coming off of the the nasty concussion and stardom, uh, whatever it's been about a month or so ago since that happened, and someone who shows promise, but is you know you wouldn't necessarily put her at the top of the list of best wrestlers in stardom. She had the performance of her career I in there with Willow Nightingale. No Just, expectations for this match either. It was like, all right, come in, so all right, good. let's see what you do, and yeah, who's like. It's like, and I know you don't watch NXT, but it was like seeing Eddie Thorpe, you know, walk in, and it's like you could you could tell the difference in how somebody is trained sometimes. Yes, like when Saray walked in there, and it was like holy shit. And it was, I mean, with Momo again, a little bit different, but you see again, you see her outside of that stardom realm, where in your mind is floating around. Well, I'm going to see you, Tommy, later. I'm going to see, you. and she does lack in comparison. And again, this is not nothing against Willow Nightingale, but it's like, again, they 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 played off each other well, very well, and I thought she looked really good. Yeah, Willow was great in the match. Just a perfect opponent for Momokogo, and it was cool too because it's you know Willow, even though she she's one of the more powerful women on most rosters that she's on, she still sometimes plays like the like the the bubbly underdog babyface. Here, she got to be that power wrestler with Kogo. Kogo hit everything well she she sometimes hits hits her big spots well most of the time she does sometimes they're a little shaky everything looked great the crowd was into her they're reacting to her comebacks um super happy for her given there were like you said very just non-existent expectations for her performance in this tournament uh coming off the injury uh, you know most likely just like with Wakasukiyama a few months ago or i guess last october it would have been uh, in New York, most likely was sent over because she speaks English. 
Um, and so it's easier to send one person over when they speak English versus if they don't. Uh, but she knocked it out of the park. And, you know, then he talked about that, um, even though the finish wasn't what everyone wanted uh, with the injury, Willow Nightingale and Mercedes Monet, that crowd reaction to start, that was, you know, the things, you know, a moment, you know, like we, that gets thrown around so much. That was a legit moment. I, I can only imagine what that felt like in the crowd uh, live. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, the the way it ended, I guess. I mean, do we know for sure? I guess Dave said it was confirmed that uh, that Mercedes was supposed to win. And it was an audible, not only in terms of the finish, when the finish happened, but who won. Man, uh, for Mercedes to call that audible and then for the crowd to react once they got over the weirdness of the non-finish finish right before. Uh, what a moment for Willow. Perfection is easily attained when you look back with 2020 hindsight and you put the pieces back together. But it's like if that damn referee would have just counted three, it would have been perfect. Oh, because, absolutely. You know, she, you, obviously, she made the call and it was just a matter if that referee was Paul Turner, you know, I, I'm not sure who they use. Rick Knox, I'm not sure who else they use. But if that Jeremy was Jeremy Marcus, well, I guess he went to NXT. He, but yeah, yeah, I mean, Jerry, if it was so, I think if there it was just a communication thing. And I think if it was somebody and a young else, referee. it's it's uh, is it's uh, Taito Nakabayashi who's, you know, on, yeah. on excursion and he just didn't pick up on it, which is, which well, is and yeah. And when all you're thinking is this is the biggest star, you know, on this show and I'm about to slap my hand. Or, or, yes. is, is this really happening? And yeah, unfortunately yeah. it really happened. And you know, the, they finally said it, it's an ankle, you know, I, I had to pull it back on the wrestling news. It's like, well, it's a lower felt like it's, it was like hockey. It's like, well, it's a lower <laughs> leg injury. It's not with an LBI. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, and then it, it, cause it was like, okay, well, did she, you know, was it the knee, the ankle, the foot? What, you know, you figured it was the, you know, it was an ankle because of how she landed. We should reference what the spot is for people that didn't see the show, people that didn't order it. Uh, you know, it'll eventually go up as a strong on demand show on new Japan world. But Willow Nightingale and Mercedes Monet were on the top rope, ostensibly for a superplex spot of some sort. Uh, and Mercedes awkwardly sort of fell off the top rope, landed feet first on the floor. You couldn't really see exactly how she landed because the camera was shooting from the other side. But yeah, I would imagine it had to be some sort of, you know, when I, when I first saw and saw her reaction, I thought high ankle sprain, which if that's the case, those are nasty. You would almost rather have a break. Those are so hard to to rehab and come back from. Well, at least with a break, especially you know when it's a clean break, it's like okay, you know, eight weeks. But it heals and healed. Yeah, that's Whereas it. This, it's, again, I go back to hockey, but you think of how many times guys get high ankle sprains, miss a few months, try to come back, and then within a week they're out again for another that's, month. And that's the worst part. It's like in three weeks it could be fine. In three months, it might not be fine because so yeah. it's 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 frustrating, and we'll see what ends up happening, you know, with Mercedes. But it was, I've seen that woman get bent up, literally, you know, a crab style, you know, feet all the way on the floor, bent all the way back. In some of these matches that she would have with her and Bailey and flying out of the ring and all that stuff, and it was as simple as just 
landing on her feet on the floor, you know, unexpectedly the way. And again, maybe she caught where the pads were up against. Who knows what it was, but it was unfortunate the way it happened, but fortunate for Willow Nightingale because obviously NJPW strong shows aren't exactly the best way to showcase her. It's going to be on AEW where, you know, they get hundreds of thousands of viewers and I hope she gets a little bit more of a chance. I hope she and they and whoever else is involved with her career, they're able to bring that beast out of her more. You know, she's been so bubbly for so long. It's it's I'd like to find a little bit more of a balance there. And as you mentioned, because of who she was in there with, she was able to do that more. And I'd like to see more of that out of her, not just the aw shucks. Now it's like, you know what? I did win and I can still be nice, but I can actually have some attitude here because Again, who knows how long Mercedes is going to be out for. And, I mean, look, Willow, you can, Willow, I can come up with a bunch of different matches from Stardom and from other people and other companies, you know, in different parts of the world where you can have a lot of fun with this rain here. You you absolutely could. Yeah, no, and she, you talk about rolling with the punches, the post-match promo, which if she was not planned to win, Man, she uh, she sure cut a promo that made you think this was part yeah. of a, a long-running story with her. Uh, the crazy thing just watching was, again, the crowd reaction to her, seeing her as a star in there with the star of stars uh, uh, for women's wrestling in the United States right now, Mercedes Monet. Like, she certainly felt like she belonged. Um, and coming out of it, like, all I could think of is, man, uh, even if this was accidental, her being featured in there with Mercedes Monet, and even if she was supposed to lose, was so much more than she's been featured and properly utilized in her own in her own home promotion. I watched that and I'm like, man, with Statlander still out, how the hell did they not just decide to have her be the person to beat Jade Cargill? I just don't get it. I I don't understand the Taya Valkyrie thing at all. Uh, not to do an AEW podcast, but if after all this time, all these squashes, if Taya Valkyrie is the one to end Jade Cargill's streak, ugh, I, I just, I don't see And it. I like Taya in doses. I don't want to see her on there every week. It's, it's like her husband. I mean, it's like Johnny. I mean, at this point in the game, I love seeing him come in as Johnny Payday, you know, whatever the last name is going to be, you know. Johnny and, Big Time Wrestling, exactly, Johnny House of Glory. Exactly. I'm, you know, he, he trips me out. I get, I, I, But it, if you weren't going to do it with Valkyrie right off the bat, you can't do it now. And if it, to me, I don't know when Chris is coming back, but I hope it's at this pay-per-view because something's got to give with this. I mean, please. Because, yeah, it hasn't been Willow. It hasn't been anybody else. It's not Ty. There's nobody else left. So if it's not Statlander, then have the, you know, have a champion versus champion match. Have Willow beat Jade, and then maybe Jade can actually, you could think of something to do with her, you know, and have her be involved in things where she doesn't need to have the belt around. I mean... It means nothing right now anyway, unfortunately, with everything that, again, with the, and it's not her fault. <laughs> it's just the way that things go there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, hopefully Collision will somewhat solve that as far as getting people on TV in a more meaningful way, people not disappearing for three months. I'd, I'd like to think so, but I'm not, I'm not sold on that. You well, know, they keep signing people. <laughs> well, if the idea is we don't have enough TV time for everybody and then you sign 15 more people, 
you're still not going to have enough TV time for everybody. I guess maybe the solution to that is to run 19 match episodes of ROH every week. It's just when you look at the Battle Royal and you see Jay White and Juice Robinson and Bandito and Commander Swerve and Swerve. And they still haven't had a match. It's, it's man. <laughs> well, thank God we got Andrade coming back. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> in any event, yeah. So, I mean, that's resurgence. Outside of that, to me, there's not a whole lot to say. It was awesome to see. No, the crowd is uh, the best thing to talk about oh, out of that show. And this is no incredible. nothing against the wrestlers or the matches that were on it. It was fine. But really, it was the crowd for as maligned as the ticket sales were for so long being talked about, you know, before Mercedes jumped on there, but I thought it, it looked good filming. You know, the, the, the aesthetic of it was good. The crowd itself was fantastic. You got to see Tanahashi and, uh, Will Ospreay. I mean, it's only the second time they have ever been in the ring with each other. And it was in long beach, California in 2023. So that was pretty cool. You know, to me, I like looking at things that way. Okada being out there was Okada incredible. and Moxley going at just it. Incredible. Yeah, oh, God. And some of the exchanges that they had, you know, where, you know, Moxley and, and Yuta bumping into each other and some of the spots that they had during that match. It was just a but it was just it was just really, really good and, and nothing to complain about there. But, you know, again, I thought the crowd really was the thing that kind of, you know, jacked everything up a notch. For sure. It was a fun show with a great crowd that pretty much made everything seem better than it was, yeah. which is not a knock. That's fine. That's what you want out of a pro wrestling crowd and a pro wrestling show. So, yeah, from there, uh, New Japan has, as we mentioned, Dominion coming up uh, in Osaka Joe Hall. It'll be fascinating to see the crowd they draw there, considering, uh, you know, they, they were starting to edge towards you know, getting really big crowds there before the pandemic and, and nothing, uh, nothing close to that since then. Big test for Sonata and Yoda Suji in the main event uh, for the IWGP World Title in terms of that being a draw. Lance Archer and Will Ospreay finals of the U.S. Title Contendership Tournament. Uh, in theory, you would imagine the winner of that, which will be Will Ospreay, would go on to wrestle Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door. Goto and Yoshihashi against Evil and Yujiro, uh, double tag title decision match as we mentioned earlier. David Finley and El Fantasmo. I have to check my notes to make sure. Yes, this is for the never open weight title, not the strong title. Uh, and the rematch between Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb for the world TV title after their 15-minute draw. Oh, yeah. One more thing to mention out of resurgence, too, is Eddie Kingston. Yes. Making his way over to Japan. And again, this is... Again, well, announced he's officially he's one yeah. of the guys that's going to be on those strong shows. He did he didn't know who he was going to be facing because the way that they filmed that thing where it's like I get the winner, you know, and it's like well, it's a nice touch. I like when they do that. <laughs> it ends up being Kenta, so he'll be happy about that. Yeah, he gets to check off, and I say this not sarcastically at all. Eddie Kingston gets to check off another dream match. Yeah. Uh, from his list, he had the the match against Ishii. Uh, the it's match. like when Brian Danielson wrestles, you know, Euphoria at Arena Mexico. Yes. Yeah, hopefully yes. it's somebody better than Euphoria, but you know what I mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I guess the uh, the only question is, will Eddie Kingston get a dream match against one of his, his favorite Japanese wrestlers on something other than an AEW pay-per-view pre-show? Will, will he wrestle Kenta uh, on a main card? I just want to see him somehow wake, make his way over to, to DDT while he's over there. I mean, does does Jun Akiyama still have the uh, 
the extreme title or who who's got that who's got the the wacky title going on now the the always changing iron man championship that's who's a, got their that, hands on that that's a very good question i i can't pull that out of my brain lexicon right now we're too deep into the show that's for true. that sort of content and we haven't even talked about the stardom pay-per-view coming up this weekend there has been a lot of stuff going on here, but yes, the, the stardom pay-per-view is, is a, I almost forgot. I hate to say it. I almost forgot with everything going on before we did the show that there was a pay-per-view this weekend, but obviously, yes, it is the wonder of stardom versus the world of stardom championship with Mina Shirakawa against Tam Nakano. And look, look, how about Tam wins, right? She's I'm never going to, I'm never going to complain. I'll stop you there. Tam winning, never a problem. Well, here's the, she's got both belts, right? And then she moves on. And when's the last time she wrestled Mayu Iwatani? Do you know? I'll tell you, 2021. You there know you when's go. the last time she beat Mayu Iwatani is? Never. Never. The last two matches they've had have been time limit draws. She's never beaten Mayu. Can you imagine build to that three championships because it seems to be a thing. Roman Reigns will have three at some point, three championships, the ultimate crown Tam, the ultimate, exactly triple crown Tam, the ultimate battle, the ultimate icons of stardom of the past. Again, because we forget about Io Shirai now, but of this generation, (laughs) you know, forget about Kyrie too of this generation. How about it? I would not complain about it. I don't want to see the titles combined, but if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. I would certainly not have any problem with getting a a big title unification Tam Nakano, Mayu Iwatani match. Uh, I, I would like to, you know, to find the milk carton that has uh, the IWGP Women's Championship on it. It kind of seems like it's been uh, forgotten. So, yeah, I, I'd be fine with that. And look, I, you know, Mina Shirakawa could use going a half hour with Tam uh, Nakano. I almost said Nakano there, but Tam Nakano. She could use that half hour and or however long they're they're going to do it because I think it is going to be a draw because realistically, Mina should not be Tam in, in no universe right now. I don't care how good she's looked, but no, you know, and Tam just, you go, what's the point of losing to Mina? You know, to me, yeah, it's a draw. They're they're going to have some story that comes out of this. Obviously, the story for Mina is the fact that her ascension continues. She is a true leader of her group. She is a true champion, you know. So yeah, because of that, though, and again, maybe I'm wish casting this. Maybe I'm just hoping against hope here. But Julia, my Sakurai, and Thekla, could they win the Artist of Stardom titles? I don't think it's happening this soon, right after Kyrie and Atsupoy and Sariano won, unless Kyrie's not long for the world of stardom as a free agent and they want to kickstart uh, whatever's going to happen, which I still think will happen. Maybe I'm fantasy booking, but uh, Sariano uh, at some point turning on Natsupoy and Tam Nakano. But no, I think. Uh, you don't think I it happens think- here? I don't think it happens here. And I think going back to Shirakawa, I think Mina Shirakawa in a title versus title match, taking Tam Nakano to a 30 minute time limit draw. That's almost a victory in and of, uh, in and of itself from a story perspective. And it sets up, uh, you know, somewhere down the line when one of them isn't a champion, let's say, um, 
at some point when when Tam loses the title and maybe Mina Shirakawa still has the white belt or neither of them are a champion, Shirakawa will get that big statement win over Tam Nakano, but I, I don't see it happening here. And I just I would just be shocked if they decide to unify these titles unless the idea at some point is basically the IWGP women's title becomes that like 1A, 1B, I guess it would really be just an equal to the red belt. And it serves the same purpose uh, that the white belt has had. If it really, you know, if the IWGP women's title isn't going to be uh, on that many new Japan shows, which it certainly doesn't feel like right now, it's, it's not going to be on us shows. If you created the strong, the strong women's title, and there's no sign of it being on major New Japan shows in Japan right now. How many international shows could that belt possibly be on? Okay, I mean, if you think about it, it's not being defended on Tamashi shows. It's not going over to Mexico. You no. have Forbidden Door coming up, and you have Wembley Stadium. Where else does it fit with their activities? You know, and like you mentioned, they're not. it's not like they are rolling it out there for a bunch of defenses in Japan either. No. So... I again, if they decide to go in that direction, you know, you could say it undercuts Shirakawa for Tam to win both and then be walking around with both. And then again, you start to wedge the IWGP title more into stardom's plans. But uh, I, I, we'll, we'll see, you know, but, but because of thinking that it would be a draw and if it's not going to be the six woman that changes hands. I don't see any title on this show changing hands because I don't either. Mariah and Ami Sorhe, you have the same exact thing where they just won the belts. They just had a title defense after winning them essentially on luck with the count out deal with seven up and everything, which has not done them any favor. Not at all. And you know, Net- Netsuka Tora and, and Momo, Watanabe, it's going to be probably really fun, but there's probably going to be a whack finish to it. But I see Mariah and, and Sorhe holding onto the belts. Yeah, I do too. And then I see probably coming out of this show, um, really the way I see this show ending, and I could be wrong, but I see Tam Nakano and Mina Shirakawa going to a 30-minute draw, standing there in the ring, and then Mariah coming out, and neither uh, Tam or Shirakawa knowing which person Mariah is going to challenge, basically cashing in her her, uh, her uh, Cinderella tournament win. Um, if I had to guess, that's the way it'll go. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily see them losing the tag titles um, here out of that. Just quickly going back to the IWGP women's title. The one thing, God knows when it'll happen, but the one thing I, I feel like is almost a lock at some point this year, just you look at some of the comments in the media in Japan, particularly from uh, from Sare, I think you're going to see her and Mayu Iwatani wrestle for the IWGP women's title. We've talked about it. God, that please. Match that was, it was, remember, it was supposed to happen at Corican. Um, she went to WWE, uh, it didn't happen. Then the pandemic hit. Um, I, I would be shocked if that match doesn't happen at some point this year, wherever and whenever and however it happens, whether it's on a stardom show, whether it's on a new Japan show, whether it's on some other multi-promotional show, uh, I, I fully expect that to take place. And obviously for it to be great, uh, because as you mentioned off air, uh, right before we started recording, uh, we both watched the main event from the Hanakamura Memorial Show a couple days ago. Man, Sare, particularly for someone who has not had a lot of matches at all in recent years, her sequences in that main event... At least uh, real with, ones. It, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, with, at least uh, ones where she didn't come out of a portal, yeah. Yeah, come out of a portal or strangely get criticized by dorks on the internet for doing a good dropkick. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. No issues uh, like that here with Mio Momono. That stuff that they had in the uh, uh, the tag match, which also featured Aja Kong and Mika Iwata. Uh, out of this world, as Dave Meltzer would say. Uh, and, and yeah, if you had any concerns that uh, Saray was not uh, the wrestler she was prior to being warehoused in NXT, uh, all of those should be uh, should be washed away pretty quickly after seeing that. Well, let me ask you this: with Kyrie being freelance, technically, I can't see her ever going back to WWE. But you never say never. But you know, if, if you're her, do you also take advantage of this time and see if AEW? will throw anything your way. I'm shocked that it hasn't signed, happened already. You know, they, they've signed, you know, far less talented women. And again, no offense to anybody, but goddamn, you know, Kari Hojo, Kari Sane is a top tier, you know, she's a star. She looks like a, a star. great wrestler and she's a star. Yeah. Name value, the whole, you know, kitten caboodle. So, you know, I don't know what her, again, and I don't know what her life plans are, too, and how much she actually necessarily wants to work, you know. So, but, but uh, you know, that's one where if she's not locked in, why are we not seeing her over here? Again, no offense to Lady Frost. No offense to a lot of the women that are on the AEW roster. And God knows if you sign her, I mean, have they done wonders with Hikaru Shida? Have they done wonders with lots of people? Eh, no. But damn, well, I would Shida. love to see a Hikaru Shida match, and I would love to see, you know, again, her, Kyrie, look, Kyrie could be the best thing for a Britt Baker. You know, she can have kick-ass matches and be in there and be physical with the Jamie haters of the world, but she can also make somebody like Britt Baker look, and some other people on that roster look a lot more, a lot better than they are because of the experience and the, what she can bring. I also think she, at this point, might mean more in the U.S. than she means in Japan. I love seeing her on these stardom shows, but I think the fan base has changed so much that I don't know that her coming back to stardom has meant a ton in terms of the gate or the box office or pay-per-views. Yeah. Uh, and so it'd be interesting to see the effect that she would have, um, you know, sort of outside of that realm, you know, coming into the U.S., particularly uh, uh, into AEW. I'd still like to see Chihiro Hashimoto over here, too. But again, that goes back to the Sari thing, and I need to see them get back at it again, too. I'd love to see them, you know, again, if you wanted to do an outsider alignment, and I know we had this with 7-Up, and we had this with the, you know, Alpha Female and then the Neo Stardom and Army and all that sort of stuff. I mean, again, you can bring in, I mean, you've done it. I mean, they've done it with, with Ice Ribbon and everything else. It's not like they, they hide from the women that are coming in to work these shows and, and sorry. And, and a lot of these women. So God, I would love to see both of them in on a more regular basis. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Hopefully we will, we will see that in the coming months. Uh, the rest of this show, Oda city, Oda city general gymnasium. Again, this coming Saturday pay-per-view for stardom. As you mentioned, Kyrie Natsupoy and Sariano against Julia, my Sakurai and Thekla for the, uh, artists of stardom trios championships or six women tag team championships. Mariah and Amisore against Natsuko Tora and Momo Watanabe for the tag belts. Uh, Azumi and Sa uh, versus Saki Kashima versus Fuki Death three-way for the high-speed title. Uh, and then uh, a bunch of tag matches below that. Micah, Suzu Suzuki, and Mei Sarah, uh, an odd trio taking on Nanai Takahashi, Yuna Mizumori, and Hanako. Mayu Iwatani, Hazuki, Koguma, and Hanan taking on uh, the Club Venus group of Mariah Mei, Zina, Jesse, and Wakasukiyama. 
Itami Hayashida, Shishida, Sayaka Matani, and Hina against Starlight Kid, Raka, and Rina of Oedo Tai. Uh, Shuri and Aya Sakura, uh, the, uh, the, I guess you would say the kicking rookie, uh, the very kick-heavy rookie in Sardom, taking on Ram Kaicho and Micah Ozaki. And a three-way match between Saya Ida, Momo Kogo, and Lady C to open the show. Uh, the only other stardom note that I have, obviously, if, uh, if you haven't had a chance yet to see the Jamaica retirement ceremony, that is up on Stardom World now. Uh, it's long. It's great. It's a typical uh, retirement ceremony where you get you know, a bunch of, like, one-minute matches. Uh, it's good stuff. It sucks to see Jamaica retiring. As a fan, I'm still in denial. Uh, she seems more than at peace with it, though, so good for her. Uh, and then the New Blood show. Uh, that took place on the 12th, which I believe is still up on YouTube as a free watch. Uh, Rina defeating Ami Sore to win the Future of Sardom title with a ton of interference from Oedo Tai. We had Tam Nakano against Tam Nakano in the main event. Uh, now Ishikawa as the fake Tam Nakano. That was a trip. Uh, and then my my favorite thing on the show, seeing Hanan and Hina, the judo sisters, teaming up to take on Tomoka Inaba and the very, very young in her career, sister of Tomoka, Azusa Inaba, uh, a judo versus karate-themed uh, match that went to a 15-minute draw. The only way it could end. <laughs> yes. I was surprised, though, that someone who was both an outsider and had so few matches in her career so far, uh, the younger Inaba sister, that it still went to a draw and she didn't get defeated. But it's funny. She is... She's she's a little taller, but she's Still basically an amazing lack of height in that family. <laughs> an exact clone of her sister at that point <laughs> in her career, facially, stylistically, ring gear. Uh, but yeah, it'll be exciting to see how she develops, given uh, you know, particularly over the last six to nine months, uh, the rapid improvement we've seen from Inaba. She started to you know work in Stardom, work you know Sendai, and more places outside of just JTO shows loosely related to stardom i was a couple days ago that many days weeks and months and years old when i found out that harley cameron who is the lady with the glasses who is unintentionally bringing down powerhouse hobbs during all of those qtv segments apparently she used to team with mariah may as siren's fury and i can really only, i can only imagine I Divergent can, careers. <laughs> I, 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 they, they both seem like a party. So, it's, I would love to have seen because I could see the work not being all that good, but I could see them personality-wise being uh, way over the top. So, yeah, I was wondering yeah, I'm where not exactly gonna... she came from, and it's like, well, she teamed with Mariah May. Just those ladies are breaking out all over the place in the last couple of months. I'm not going to pass any judgment on how good Harley Cameron could be in the ring because Mariah May has blown me away as far as the uh, the in-ring ability. So who knows? Maybe that is... Uh... I don't even think... See, it's not even the... I, maybe it is the ability because yeah, she is better than... She's awesome. She's so good. Her footwork's well, great. She, she, she works well with everybody. Well, that's... Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, I will... And I think the presence there and her... Again, her comfort being in the ring makes up it goes a long way and that confidence and again, being just being in the right place, making the right faces at the right times, things like that. So yeah, she, a technical wizard. No, she does not have to be one anyway. She is a great addition and been, a, I mean, again, I don't know breakout stars of 2023, you know, well, I think she's near the top she, of the again, list. She fits the list. That's for sure. 
I mean, when you look at expectations versus what she's delivered, I think yes. people thought best case scenario should should be a, a fun addition to a group led by Mina Shirakawa, and instead she's been that, and she's also been damn good and damn smooth in the ring, whether it be in singles, regular tags, six mans, eight mans, battle royals, whatever it's been, she's she's delivered. So who knows? Maybe Harley Cameron has that going as well. I wouldn't know because every time I see a, a QTV segment, it's like the one thing if I'm not watching live that I just, I can't watch. I can't. It's just, that is not my professional wrestling. And I hate seeing powerhouse Hobbs uh, being dragged down by that. Yeah, so, when is Big Will going to get to the part of the house, uh, you know, the the book of Hobbs? The, there's got to be a chapter in there that says, like, close the book and take the edge of the corner of it and beat QT to death. Like, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's a page on the book that says collision. And that's the page he stays on for a long time. And the doors are shut before QT and Harley Cameron and Aaron solo and whoever else is involved with that, uh, that whole group can come in. So in any event, we should probably close this out before we start talking even more AEW than I believe we're contractually allowed to. I think yeah. our lawyers, uh, just recently settled that. <laughs> they just sent me some paperwork on that, in fact. But, uh, yeah, well, hey, look, we 90 minutes, most of it was about Japanese professional wrestling, and that's nice. We had a couple a off A lot of it was about Bob Luce, too. That's <laughs> Well, hey, we need these type of, you know, release valves in, in our lives here. But a lot more we're going to get into next time around, obviously, going to be a lot more. Again, there's been a few title matches and things like that, you know, from, from around all Japan and Noah and some things, but we'll get heavier into all that stuff uh, the next time around, including the finals of the best of the super juniors and obviously the stardom pay-per-view that's coming up. So hopefully we'll be back with you in a, in a couple of days, but we'll see what happens. You know, while we're waiting in those couple of days, Adam, if somebody was just dying and pining to hear our voices again, where could they hear yours? That's a very good question. They could hear mine in a couple places for the same podcast, that being Wrestling at Random, the podcast I do with our close, longtime personal friend, Jeremy Deemer. If you've never listened to the podcast before, you could go to WrestlingAtRandom.com right now or search Wrestling at Random wherever you get this podcast. And there are more than 120 episodes, four seasons of that show that you've never heard. It's evergreen content. You can go back and listen to an episode from April of 2020 when we started the show, and it will sound just as new as if it was recorded and released today. You can check all that out for free, or if you want even more content, you can go to patreon.com slash wrestling at random, where during the break between seasons four and season five on the free feed, we continue to do New episodes, exclusive bonus podcasts each and every week. These are full-length shows that live only on our Patreon that are there for the people that financially support the podcast. Uh, and also over there, we have an additional tier where people can choose what we watch and review uh, for the shows in the bonus feed. The last, I'd say, three months or so have exclusively been shows like that on the bonus feed because we've had so many people join up on that tier the newest episode, which just went up today, if you're listening on Thursday on the bonus feed, we review the first episode of Saturday night's main event from May night or May 11th, 1985. Uh, the week before that, we reviewed an episode of Georgia Championship Wrestling Superstars. That's right. It's Georgia Championship Wrestling, except it's not. <laughs> Fantastic ones. <laughs> so there's exactly yes we uh if you ever wondered if you ever wondered whether 
Terry Taylor had a worse outfit than his days as the Red Rooster? The answer is yes, and it took place in that territory. Uh, there's episodes of Monday Nitro that we've reviewed. There's a ton of uh, Japanese shows that we've reviewed over in the bonus content and in the free feed. So that's that's where you can hear more of me. Just search wrestling at random and you'll you'll find it. I hope you show respect to Steve Olzanowski. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> Interviewed Steve Olzanowski once. Really nice guy. Really nice guy. Only worked in Minnesota and Georgia pretty much. Just a unique career certainly a unique career but uh this one had michael st john as the announcer <laughs> as the play-by-play guy host and interviewer oh my god oh he of uswa fan yes 1983 folks that's when that happened and ironically enough if you want to take a look back on and what happened earlier in 1983 the mid-atlantic championship podcast is a good place to go still don't know why the the brian over there has not gotten the newest one up on the free feed but don't worry the free youtube is available of the show that's at the youtube.com slash mid-atlantic pod i have it up there he still needs to get it on the free feed hey that's okay though because it just gives me extra time uh to work on what i'm working on for the patrons over at the uh patreon.com slash mid-atlantic podcast so i do this show where i review weeks after week after week of mid-atlantic championship wrestling as it appears on peacock and the wwe network but this episode i have coming up number 58 there is no peacock uh showing of it there is no network showing of it i don't have a vcr tape of it so what i've decided to do is go back and look at the entire wrestling landscape in march of 1983 and adam you know how these things go with me i start off it's going to be this and then I start getting into the minutia of things. And no, no, yeah, can you believe that? <laughs> Folks, Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, there was a Madison Square Garden in Phoenix, Arizona. It was also a punk club as well, too. They're having little things going on. While that's happening, Eddie Graham is hooking up with Ann Gunkel to also run Arizona. As that's going on, you look further west. The McMahons are buying the LaBelles. I go through the entire landscape everywhere at the beginning of 1983 because we're only a month away at that point of Georgia Championship Wrestling being sold by Jerry Briscoe and Jack Briscoe and those partners to Vince McMahon which ends up going into court for over a year. But that essentially opens up the wrestling war. Cable TV had already caused a lot of drama. Now we're going to see everyone and their mother. Southwest Championship Wrestling, they're going to run Ohio. Dick the Bruiser, he's running Ohio. Vince McMahon, yeah, he wants Ohio too. So it's right before everything of the everything about the wrestling landscape changes. And I go through all of it in this one episode that I'm working on right now. There's going to be a ton of extras on this thing up for the Patreon members. There's going to be an enhanced script. I have most of the shows that are available from that week that I'm putting together a special Patreon audio for, which will take you to Vancouver. It will take you to Memphis. It will take you all over the wrestling landscape that week of March 5th, 1983. And then after that, the next show is going to be 
where we finish off the road to Greensboro, and it's going to be the big match between Sergeant Slaughter, Don Carnoodle, Ricky Steamboat, and Jay Youngblood. A championship match of epic proportions that we still actually feel the ramifications of today. So there's that. There's Wrestling Observer Live. There's the Black Wrestling Podcast, Bulls in the China Shop. My friend Vin Forte and I, Cal, are on that. Pay the one, pay the ten, blackwrestling.com's Patreon. And, uh, oh, yeah, the wrestling news every single day, free for you between 5 and 15 minutes every day. All of the news that you need to know from around the wrestling world. Did you fall asleep during Raw? Did you just not have the money to watch Resurgence? Hey, look, doesn't matter where it is. We run down everything that's relevant without conjecture, without bias, without rumor. No paywall, no nonsense, just the wrestling news, free wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yes, I 100% agree. The wrestling news, as we always say, it is the best place to get the news on wrestling without having to deal with everything else that's horrible <laughs> about the internet and pro wrestling. Yeah, by oh. the way, thank you to everybody who said nice words about the superstar Billy Graham bio. So that was a, uh, yeah, always always tough to have to do something like that, you know, for a guy that was, you know, so legendary. But, um, you know, it's nice to be able to to hear that you, you treat it as, his name and his career with respect. So appreciate everybody that they called us out with that one. Yeah. And, and treat it with respect and also really, you know, didn't shy away from the tough stuff either. No. And that's, Hey, you look, sometimes, you know, these stories are these stories and, you know, and the people are the people yeah. and you're as much as, you know, everyone, I understand the, the urge to do it. Everyone wants to lionize people when they yeah. pass away and, and talk about their good points. And those certainly should be talked about. It's doing a disservice to that person, the life and the story, if you don't, you know, give a fuller picture. And I think you definitely did a good job on that. No, I appreciate that. And yeah, I know. And I've heard that for like, you know, Rocky Johnson, you know, Mr. Wrestling too. There are a lot of guys who have, you know, who have things in their background. And a lot of those things got glossed over when they passed away, you know, especially in the case of Rocky Johnson, I think because of who was, you know, his son is, but it's like, you know, somebody if you're telling the whole complete story and you're really trying to give the most fair representation, you know, unfortunately, I think for all of us, you know, if somebody told the story about us, there's going to be some things that get dragged out there because they happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's just one of those things. And then that's the way it goes. But obviously we don't focus on the negative. It's about, you know, celebrating the person as well too. And it's hard not to do that with superstar Billy Graham. I mean, just an absolute legend. And, and Adam, I tell you, it's, it's crazy. A couple, you know, right before my father passed away, you know, went to those WWF show and a, a, a UWF slash Jim Crockett show at the Baltimore Arena. Only eight days separated it, but superstar Billy Graham against Butch Reed, you know, Butch Reed, who I love wow. growing up, and superstar Billy Graham coming out. Bruno, that was the same show that had Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan facing one man gang and King Kong Bundy. Uh, I mean, there was just, it was. It's just wild. And then a couple days later, getting to see, you know, Ric Flair and the Horsemen face off in a cage against the Road Warriors and, and Dusty Rhodes. And it was just very lucky when I looked back and it kind of hit me of like, that is, I saw a lot of great wrestlers in the span of two. I mean, where else do you get to see Sam Houston team up with Chavo Guerrero in a WWF <laughs> ring? I saw more people I love from Mid-South and UWF on that show, Ted DiBiase included, than I did on the actual UWF slash JCP show that they sent. Although we did get Eddie Guerrero <laughs> and Steve Williams there, so that was kind of cool because Dr. Death was the one who came out to bad, bad to the bone. 
And I realized even at that age, I was damn near as tall as Eddie uh, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> I wish I could hop in Kushida's time machine right now and experience all oh, that man. with you. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, we should have been done a while ago. I apologize, everybody. I apologize to you, Adam. We shall be back soon. <laughs>